so I didn't think I was going to be here tonight, um, and uh, and actually I wasn't going to be here. Actually, Kitty was had was very kind enough to say she would substitute for me after I talked to her earlier today, and. And uh, then at the last minute, not at the last minute, but you know, a few hours ago, I realized, oh, I'm not going to be here the next two Sunday nights. And uh, next week will be Carol Kano, who is part of the new teacher training at Spare Rock that I talked about last week that I just taught at. And then uh, in two weeks will be Frank Ostaseski, our old friend Frank, and. Uh, and uh, who'll be here to talk about his work. And he was here not so long ago with his new book called The Five Invitations uh, about uh, death and practice and his life, uh, meaning that he's a founder, one of the founders of the Zen Hospice Project. And, um, and so then I realized, oh, I'm not going to be here. And so then I really, I wanted to come because I don't like being away from here for that long, like three weeks in a row. I mean, I've done it and I could do it, but I'd rather not. And so, because I didn't, and I didn't want to be here because I was having some uh, Eugene Duca. <laughs> and the Eugene Duca was that, uh, was physical Duca. Uh, I woke up yesterday morning and um, I, I, I often get up early and I do some stretching, and then I sit, and then I do my day. And so I was doing my stretches, and I was doing a twist on the floor, stretching, and I started, everything started whirling, and I started getting very, very dizzy, like way dizzy, like not just a little dizzy, but that's all that was happening was everything was just whirling. And, uh, and it took quite a while for it to calm down, like a few hours. And, and then, and so, and, uh, and, and it was like almost, and at first, every time I moved, it would accentuate the dizziness. And so that was not fun. And, uh, and, then, and then slowly it calmed down and then I called the hospital and they explained what it was, which it was vertigo. And I'd never experienced vertigo before and I don't recommend it. You don't, you don't have to try it. It's not like the next great drug or anything, although it was definitely an altered state of consciousness in a certain way. And then, and then slowly um, I started to feel better until and I felt fine actually yesterday and in the afternoon and the evening I was even one of my good friends called and wanted to go to a movie and I was really tempted to go to the movie and then I just kept thinking I hadn't been I haven't been sleeping well this week and I thought oh maybe that had something to do with the vertigo because after I started to feel a little better from the Disney dizziness I took two naps yesterday, and that and that felt really good. And so, okay, so then I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to the movie, but I'm fine. And uh, and I go to sleep, and I thought, great, I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight. And da 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 da. And and then about five in the morning, I even is still in bed. I could feel, oh, it's back. And it's not, it wasn't as intense, but it was back. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to keep sleeping. And I, I went back to sleep. And then I woke up and I got up and I was, it was vertigo again the, today. And it wasn't as intense as yesterday, but it was more continuous. And it lasted longer, but it wasn't as like altered as it was yesterday, which was very intense. And I'm good at being with intense states of consciousness. I've been with lots of them in my life and in practice. And, but this was not fun, and it was not fun today either. And, uh, and I had to be so careful moving around, because if I moved too quickly, it just makes it all happen. And so, and that's why I wasn't going to come finally today. And, and actually, I called Kitty and said, could you substitute? And she was. She said yes. And then I realized 
I wasn't going to be here, so I wanted to come, and I felt good enough, but I didn't feel as good as I felt last night, and even now I feel a little bit vulnerable, like, oh, I can feel, it's not, it's not, I'm not dizzy, but I'm not as solid as I was yesterday afternoon or yesterday night, and it's very humbling to, uh, to practice with life, because believe me, when, I, when, when it was happening intensely, even, either yesterday very intensely or today, there's nothing else to do, right? That's, you have to kind of wait it out or sit with it. And so I'm, I know how to do that, which I'm glad I know how to do it, but I sure wished I didn't have to do it today, you know? It's, and so it was interesting. So I was gonna talk about consciousness, and I didn't have enough wherewithal to, to really organize that talk yesterday or today, even though I'd been prepping for it. And so, and especially when I thought I wasn't gonna come for a while, and then I called Kitty later and said, no, no, I'm gonna go, because I'm not coming. And then I started to organize the talk. This is, this is my dukkha day kind of day. And then I organize this talk, and, and you know, I, what I do is I usually write out a talk, and then I hang out with it for a while, and then I rewrite it, and which is what I did with this talk. But I didn't bring the rewritten one. I brought the first one, you know, exactly. I mean, I got here and I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, I'm just like, this is, and we, we're gonna strike that off of the tape, of course. But, um, but, you know, and so, and then I'm thinking, oh yeah, okay, what did I, what did I, because the rewrite was great, but you're only going to get an okay talk now. <laughs> but, but really, part of what I wanted to talk about was dukkha, because this is dukkha, and if you're new to practice, the word dukkha is the Pali word for suffering. And suffering has a number, and dukkha has a lot of ways you could translate it as suffering or as misery or as dis-ease or as discomfort or pain or stress is a very common way to uh, translate dukkha now or unsatisfactoriness. It's, it's pointing at, at the part of human life, whether it's subtle or whether it's gross, that's unsatisfactory. That is not, doesn't make us happy, is not just great or joyful or even satisfying. It's just dukkha. And it's not a bad thing, dukkha. Dukkha is part of human life, right? Anybody here not have any dukkha? Right? I'm always waiting for someone to raise their hand because if, if they don't, they can come and teach now and, you know. But, um, <laughs> Well, it is a dukkha sometimes to teach, that's true, but, uh, but it's, uh, it's a high-class dukkha, you know. <laughs> and so I was thinking about the, my own dukkha today, right, and part of it was obviously body dukkha, right? I had body dukkha. My body wasn't working right. Something wasn't working right that this dizziness was happening and unstoppable. Really, it was just like waited out, basically. And of course, as I talked to the advice nurse at Kaiser a few times yesterday and today, I learned more and more about um, vertigo. And I learned more about what you can do and try to do. And it can be helpful, it's okay, you know. And, but, but they, it's so interesting sometimes because Western medicine, it can be so great and then they don't know so much, right? And, and so there's always a lot that all of us are still learning about what does it mean to be healthy or take care of our bodies. And so I, we, I've been learning a lot about body dukkha and how to take care of it. Um, and especially to this kind of, uh, you know, yesterday all I could do was lie on the floor while this was happening because getting up was, it just wasn't, didn't seem possible. And today, even when it was happening, I got up and moved around, grabbing on to things 
to hold them so I could get there and then having to just stop and stop and wait and use the little techniques that they had told me about um, not not bending the head too much or looking looking far away actually to help get balance and things like that and sometimes they worked and sometimes they didn't I still had to stay very still <clears throat> And, and uh, of course, there was um, uh, uh, a certain kind of uh, uh, fear that I had. Not of course, but for me, what, one of the feelings, emotional dukkha that I had was fear. Especially yesterday, when I didn't know what the hell was going on. I didn't even know, I didn't even know a vertigo was a, a, an illness, which I think it's an illness or a condition. You know, I just knew, oh shit, this is, my body is not working right. And I didn't know, and my fear was, oh, maybe I blew a blood vessel in my brain, you know. And really the question was, oh, is this it, right? And, and I got something very interesting. I'm actually not afraid of dying, but I have a little Woody Allen kind of feeling. I just don't want to be there physically when it's happening. <laughs> the, the dying's okay. That's the part I think about it is like, oh, it's about consciousness, which I'll talk about in three weeks when I come back. Because consciousness is more interesting to me. That's what I'm interested in. But oh, the body, dying means, oh shit happens to the body, and that's a problem. It's not just an abstract, like, oh, the body dies and you're done. Now, this could have been, you know, and it's true, it could have been the, the end, but I didn't know, and so I got scared of the body dying, but not dying quick enough, <laughs> really. It's like, oh yeah, let's get it done then, but, you know, that's not how it works. And so part of the fear is a very normal human fear of being out of control, right? And believe me, I've done lots of practice and I always think, oh yeah, I can deal with everything. And that's true on a certain level, but dealing with everything is also seeing that one can't deal with everything. Meaning both can happen at the same time. And, and there's a paradox to that that I appreciate as part of practice is part of being in control is actually knowing how to be out of control. Like there's a bigger space for the out of controlness to happen because I was not in control, not of my body and not of my feelings and not of my mind either. And, and and the mind was telling me all kinds of things about it and and it was also you know the some kind of sense of you know i i don't i could say the fear was from the act from the the physical symptoms or the fear was related to the um, to the not knowing itself right because when we know what's happening even if it's bad it's much, there's much more presence, there's much more awareness, there's much more here-ness. And so I was watching, you know, body, heart, mind, and different kinds of dukkha that was happening. And of course, this dukkha, this term of, you know, stress or unsatisfactoriness or suffering is what the Buddha taught, right? All of you are here, you want to know what the Buddha taught? I'll tell you. He taught, as he said, one thing, suffering and the end of suffering. That's what he taught about. And I always appreciate it and I say it because they're connected. Suffering doesn't, and the end of suffering doesn't mean you get rid of suffering. Suffering, the end of suffering is by going through suffering, is going through the suffering that's normal in human reality and see and discovering the normalcy of and the capacity of consciousness to be aware of it all. And that consciousness may not be bound to the suffering that it's aware of. And it's why consciousness has a, 
is such an interesting word for us and it's as you can hear in my speaking it's closely related to awareness and as I've been learning more about it technically I'm finding oh yeah that's a very common understanding that awareness and consciousness are often interspersed like you could use either word sometimes <clears throat> And so the Buddha taught about dukkha and the end of, of dukkha or the cessation of dukkha. And of course, you can all reflect on what kind of dukkha did you have today? Right? What kind of normal human dukkha did you have in body, heart, and mind? Right? You know, part of my dukkha uh, in the last few days was physical, and part of it was emotional, part of it was psychological. Right? It was, it was uh, here, here's an example, it meaning, meaning has to do with my ego identity, a certain kind of identity I have that has a very optimistic view of things. Right? I'm t I'm, you could call me an optimist, although I guess if you really knew me, you probably wouldn't, but, <laughs> but, but I have that quality at times. So like yesterday, I have this intense, not good experience in, in my view and uh, and then it calms down and it's like oh and then it's okay and I'm just like oh that's okay. that's great great that's done that's done that won't happen again I'll be fine tomorrow because it was just I haven't been sleeping enough and you know and that's really my view my and that's my ego view of reality because all of our egos want everything to be okay. That's a very common human experience. Everybody, and it's, it's normal. We want to be happy, we want to be fine. And we think happiness means there's no problem, which the Buddha wouldn't say that. Happiness is not based on having no problem because part of human life is dukkha. Right? And this is sometimes, confusing or is talked about in a confusing way uh, for people who don't know Buddhism so well. Sometimes they say the Buddha said that life is dukkha, which he never said. He just said there is dukkha, that that's a normal part of human life and we don't have to be bound to it or attached to it or identified with it. But it doesn't mean we don't deal with it because it's part of human life. And if you really read the text, especially the later texts, like especially when the Buddha's old, he's, he complains about his body because it doesn't work so good, which is very normal if you have a human body. Everybody understand your body doesn't last forever? Everybody got that? Anybody not, right? It's, it's, it's part of the magic of what's here is that it's not permanent. It's impermanent. It's here for a while, right? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And then it goes poof, right? And that's not a bad thing in Buddhism. That's just human life. And really it's any life arises and passes, arises and passes, that's normal. And to be aware of it means we might be free, or we could be become free of the suffering that happens when we're identified with this arising and passing reality, with this reality that is totally magical, that is us. right? That is part of our, what's sitting in each seat here right now, breathing thinking, feeling, liking or not liking the talk, either way, it's still totally magical. And this is what I'm a little bit pointing to as consciousness. It's right here. And what's, what's knowing the talk? And Ajahn Chah, who is Jack Cornfield's teacher, he often, the way he, when he would talk about practice, he said, pay attention to the one who knows. The one who knows because the one who knows is already sitting right here. We, don't, we often pay attention to what we know, not to the one who knows. Or I, I'll say it another way, a little more, in, I'll say it this way, 
the one who knows or, 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 or what knows? What's knowing here? What's knowing all of this? And don't, I don't want a, a conceptual answer. I want the experiential answer. Because conceptually you could say, oh, it's my brain or it's my this or it's my that. And you know, that may have all of its conceptual truth. But we're looking for something a little more experiential. Keep looking at what knows what's happening, any of your experience of thoughts or feelings or sensations or sounds or smells or tastes or touch or sights, what knows? That gets really interesting to me as part of practice. And that's true, uh, and that's of course, when I'm lying on the floor in the last two days because I can't move, that's all that's happening is knowing. And the dukkha of having a body that's not working right, that has um, vertigo. It's, you know, of course, um, the nurses, when you call the advice nurse, they're really kind, beautiful, bodhisattva kind of people. And I'm telling them what's happening, and I'm saying, oh yeah, this is a drag. And they said, oh yeah, you don't like that, huh? And I said, I said, I'd much rather watch the movie. <laughs> now, not everybody will get that joke, but some of you will. Um, so, so you could think and contemplate, reflect on your own dukkha today. What kind of dukkha did you have? Even if it's simple dukkha, not not big deal. Maybe the, you didn't have the right food you wanted for breakfast, and you were dissatisfied. Right? That's a certain kind of dukkha, you know. Or maybe you're upset because, uh, as somebody who's been calling me the last few days and needing some help because their relationship ended, you know, a, a long relationship ended, and they're very upset and totally makes sense, right? If you've been in a, a marriage for a number of years of, or a partnership of any kind for a number of years and it breaks up and the person leaves you, right? It's, it's hard and I think it's hard either way. But, but um, And so the person's been calling me and I've, it's an old friend so I've been happy to talk to them. And, but mostly what I'm trying to do is not make it okay, because it's not okay. It's dukkha, right? It, that's hard. It's difficult. Uh, but what, what, but they, keep add on, they keep adding on what in Buddhism is called the second arrow, right? Like the first arrow hurts. Don't add a second arrow of self-judgment onto it. Oh, I'm such an idiot for getting an arrow. Oh, if I wouldn't have stood there, it's all my fault, then that's why I got the arrow. And so he's blaming himself, this guy. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't buy that. that. That's not skillful practice. And it's not true, right? He wasn't in control of what happened. And actually his partner wasn't in control of what happened either. It's what happens sometimes with couples, with relationships. And so we can have all kinds of dukkha. <clears throat> and we want to practice with dukkha, which again is all, all that I knew how to do today is practice with dukkha yesterday and today. Because there was nothing else I could do. And people were, you know, my wife was kind to me and, you know, friends have been very kind to me. And, and the kindness helps, but they can't do anything but be kind. And that's why the loving kindness is so important. As I've said a few times here over the years, I don't think I'd be alive if it wasn't for the loving kindness that people directed at me when I had such a serious bike accident uh, and brain injury many years ago. People were so, there was so much loving kindness given to me that I think it's why I survived, because I definitely could have died. There's no question. Some people even say, oh, you had a near-death experience, and that's one way to understand what ha happened to me. <clears throat> and so 
the paradox of being aware of dukkha is that it can lead to freedom, right? Dukkha leads to the end of dukkha. And as Ajahn Chah said, he said, if the mind is not yet free, contemplate the cause and effect of each situation until the mind sees clearly and, to free, and can free itself from its own conditioning. Like even my suffering today was partly my mind saying, this shouldn't be happening, right? And I didn't want it to be happening. I was clear, but life happens. That's how things happen, right? I, I hope none of you get vertigo, but something will happen, right? Things will happen just because that's part of human life. There's no avoiding it. And so, and so seeing what the mind does in the situation can help us from being attached to the suffering that's happening, to the difficulty, to the dis-ease, to the stress that is happening. We can be aware of it. <clears throat> and again, a similar kind of uh, echo from uh, Saira Utejaniya who said, if there is no understanding, there will immediately be resistance to the unpleasant experience. There is no understanding. There will immediately be resistance to the unpleasant experience. We need to learn to accept things as they are, and that also means accepting difficult situations as they are. And he's not saying that so, so you could be a nice Buddhist or a good Buddhist. He's saying because that lead, starts to lead to a different kind of freedom than the way we think about freedom because we think about freedom as everything we don't want is gone and everything we do want is here. That's real freedom. And, you know, good luck if you can get that. And, you know, please tell me how to get that if you can. But, I don't, but what he's saying is when we start accepting the reality of life, a different kind of freedom can arise that doesn't always have to change the reality or fix it. Because, and it's great to be proactive and change and fix and, and liberate what we can in the world, but what about what we can't liberate right here in terms of changing or fixing? How does liberation come anyways? And I always appreciated what Oscar Wilde, the poet, said. He said, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. Where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. And I felt that uh, yesterday and today, because I felt my own humility arise in being um, tripped up this way. Because I like my body a lot and I really enjoy my body a lot. And, uh, and it was um, very humbling to have that kind of dukkha that I didn't expect and didn't want, and it was unknown, but it was definitely physical. And so it, it and I think of humble as like you, the word humus, same root, it lands us on the ground, where it lands us here in lived reality, not in having to make up some reality in order to be okay, but we land here. And so our puffed upness starts to deflate. And we land here as real human beings, which we all are, because we all share the same fate, right? We're born, we live a life, we die, and, and we, ha we all have goods and bads and pluses and minuses throughout human life. And it's, it's something that we're here together because we also can wake up together because we have our impact on one another as human beings. And it's really, it's, I mean, it, and of course the Buddha is a great example. I mean, this is a guy who lived a few thousand years ago, and we're in this room because of him in a certain way, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing how we can touch one another. And of course, when, personally, when I'm humbled like this, I have so much appreciation for anything, 
<laughs> really, it's true. I mean, you know, after I could move around a little, I didn't care what was happening. I'm just happy to be here, you know? Uh, you know, oh, clean something, put something away, fix something, or do nothing, or just sit there, or the sun comes out, or the fog comes in. It's all magical reality, and it won't be here, or I won't be here in the same way forever, right? I'll, you know, hopefully I'll make it through the evening, and then we'll see what tomorrow morning brings, you know? But, but as long as I am here, it's beautiful to be here. It's something magical to be here, to be alive, to be here with you. And I came here and I didn't know how it would be at all. And I was nervous and, and Allison gave me a ride, which I so appreciated because I would have driven myself, but the medical people said, don't drive, right? Because not so good to get dizzy where you think everything's spinning while you're driving. You know, I'm, I'm from Detroit, so I think I can drive anywhere, but... <laughs> But, um, uh, but I came here and I, and I didn't know how it would be to sit, really, because I didn't formally sit the last two days, because everything I was, most of what I was doing was just practice, especially when I couldn't move. That was all practice. All I'm doing is being aware and knowing what's happening and then being skillful with what was needed. Right? And, so, um, and so then I came in here and sat and... Uh, it was great to be here with you all and feel your presence support my presence of being here. And you didn't have to do anything special, you were just here. And so the collectivity, the communion of being a Sangha is a very powerful communion. <clears throat> and I had a great sit, I mean really, I mean great means, all it means when I finally opened my eyes it was 40 minutes. So that's that's, you know, that's a good set. If I'm not having a good set, I'm looking at 32 minutes, 33 minutes, you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, when can I ring the bell? You know? <laughs> uh, so dukkha is for us to practice with. And I'll just read a little bit more and then we'll let, yeah, this, I have a lot of good stuff about dukkha, of course. And, but, um, <clears throat> This is from Pema Chodron, uh, who said, when things fall apart and we're on the verge of what we know not what, we, when we're on the verge of what we know not what, the test for each of us is to stay on the brink and not to concretize. The spiritual journey is not about heaven and finally getting to the place that's really swell. That's, that's just that. And then she goes on later, she says, to stay with our shakiness, to stay with a broken heart and the rumbling stomach and the feeling of hopelessness and wanting to get revenge, that is the path of true awakening, right? Sticking with that uncertainty, getting the knack of relaxing in the midst of chaos, learning not to panic, that is the spiritual path. Beautiful teaching from Pema. So I think I'll stop there and I've left some time for your comments, questions, anything you want to say or quite, yeah, or disagree with or like or not like. It's always nice when we get to talk about what I've talked about. Please, come on, Ben.
affirmations or something. She she has. I remember reading something she wrote like uh, positive self affirmations are kind of like shouting that you're okay to cover up the whisper of a doubt that you might not be. <laughs> she seems to be a fan of not being okay. Yeah. So um, what what's your yeah what what's your feeling about it? Well, it's becoming clear to me that giving my uh, Giving the 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 feeling that everything is totally fucked up and and this I have very closely right. it's very closely wrapped in layers of panic and blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, giving yeah. that airtime right. is really not helpful a lot of the time. Right. That's right. That that's yeah. No, that's true. So it's good because you're seeing Pema's saying something that might be really helpful for some people and not helpful for other people. And, and so I'm appreciating what you're saying. Okay, do you have any like thoughts or experiences? Sure, yeah. sure, sure. You really want to listen to any teacher and see what, what's actually true for you at this time, at this place in your practice because it may change in a year or two. You might come back and say, oh yeah, oh, now that's fine. But back then, that was the wrong, wrong teaching for me at that time. And, I'm not, and maybe you'll say forever you'll feel like that's the wrong teaching and that might be right for you. But because everybody here, um, this is one of the things, the friend of mine who's in the breakup He's, he's saying, oh, I'm always going to be alone. And I, I give him a paradoxical answer. I said, well, I'm sure you're going to have another re relationship, but you're also going to learn something about being alone, because you are alone. And in some ways, everybody is alone and not alone. And that paradox is part of practice. And so we each have to learn how to use what's true and work with it as part of our practice at, and it's different at different times of life and practice at least has been for me and because there are other times where I'm like I'm always about uh, alone practice and sometimes I'm not like I loved being here with everybody tonight because I felt the benefit of it because I was in a much more uh, vulnerable place you know, of not knowing what the hell's going on with my body right now. And especially because the medical people who, you know, I wanted some help from, they tell me their thing, and then they don't know, right? Just like some Dharma teachers, including me, I'll tell you what I know, and I, there's a lot I don't know, I'm still learning. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, have you ever, I'm asking you this because I have, have you ever just been like, screw the truth, I don't, I'm not, I don't want the truth? Me? Yeah, it Me? seems like no, you're, you're very inclined to <laughs> Come on. for what's true. Yeah, no, I, I, I love what's true, but, but what's true is sometimes I've hated what's true. Come on, I'm a human being. Cool. Right. That's what I was looking for. Okay. I'm glad I passed the test. <laughs> In the back, please. And I'm always inviting people who haven't spoken before. Even if you're shy, it's really fine to be shy and, and speak. We won't blame you or, or say anything bad about being shy. Please, go ahead. Hi. Um, and start I, with your name. Oh, my name is Joshua. Yeah. Um, so, I, the quote from Oscar Wilde really spoke to me tonight. Um, the uh, sorrow is, where there is sorrow, there is sacred ground. Yes. So, I have been like really overwhelmed with sadness lately, the last couple of weeks. And it feels, you know, um, you know, lots of crying and just kind of like super dukkha, yeah. it uh -huh. seems like. Yeah, yeah. Um, just the pain of being alive in this seemingly crazy world uh -huh. um, but I'm wondering I guess I have a question sure. you know I think about like what would someone 
I don't feel, I feel very unawake when I'm feeling that sad. Right, sure. What, how does one process this kind of sadness and, right. uh, you know, what, sure. uh, did the, the Buddha feel sadness like this? What would right. he have done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a really great question because there's no simple answer, although I'm going to give you some uh, ways to contemplate it and think about it and work with it, because what you're looking for is skillful means to work with something that's difficult, which is dukkha, right? And so even for myself, that's all I'm... I'll, I, any thinking I was trying to do is, what, what do I need to do? Don't move. Right? in my dukkha today, like I got it, oh don't move, and then I'm just, and all I'm doing is not moving, and just being with how uh, totally uncomfortable it is to be spinning, right, totally, and, 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 uh, and then of course, my, like yesterday morning, especially my wife got up and said, are you okay, I'm like, no, you know, and so even that, like I like to be okay, Right. Well, no, I wasn't okay. And so being real about the dukkha can be very helpful. And getting help is helpful with some dukkha. Like, therapy is a good thing, right? Because we need help, and that's one of the skills that's arisen in the last, you know, 150 years or whatever it is for, you know, psychotherapy. And many of us, that's very helpful. And I've had plenty of therapy in my life, which actually I still am doing some therapy now. I'm amazed how great it is. And, you know, it's very cool because I haven't done any for years and years, and it's great. So that's one thing you can do when you're having that kind of dukkha. Also, letting people know so your friends, family, your sangha can support you. And because that's what sangha is about also. And then, and then considering what, what can you do for yourself so that, like my friend who's going through the relational dukkha, he's like, and he's out of the country right now, and so he's far away, and he's far away from friends, and he's in another world, and he's like, well, you know, I should be having a great time here, and I'm having a horrible time the whole, he said, I'm having a horrible time the whole time because I'm thinking, I'm dreaming about this, his partner, you know, and waking up and sad, and, and I said, well, but is that true? Are you really having a whole horrible time the whole time? He said, well, no, not the whole time. That's important to see too. Be aware of the moments of not dukkha that happen, even when there's a lot of dukkha. You know, even if it's, you know, the birds singing for a minute or, or the sky opening and the sun coming through and you feel the warmth of the sun. They might be micro moments, but they're important moments to help keep some balance in dealing with the dukkha. And that's a really important thing I just said, which is what supports your balance as part of practicing with dukkha. Because if there's not enough balance, then dukkha is really suffering. Mm. But we need a little bit of balance so we can at least work with it, sit with it, give ourselves love, be, you know, do some loving kindness practice for yourself, which when I've had my worst dukkha, really worst, you know, almost dying dukkha, the loving kindness practice just happened spontaneously on its own, and it was, it was, it was beautiful, you know. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, sure, you're welcome. Okay, please. Yeah, pull, pull it down so it's comfortable. You, the whole thing will move. Oh, this is good. Okay, okay. My name is Janelle. Janelle. Um, I had a question. I deal with, like, certain emotional... I do with a lot of, like, past... Um, sorry. It's okay. I deal with a lot of, like, suffering from my past that yeah. I can't let go. Uh-huh. Right. So like, sometimes, okay. like, I get into... Like, I hold on to all these things. Right. And then I get into this like really deep spiral, and I, I feel like I can't get out of it. Right. And I do a lot of like things that would cause self harm. Right, right. So you wanna you wanna get help? 
which yeah. is really important. And then you also want to keep seeing what helps during the day, small things that help bring give you balance. Even like right now, just feeling your feet on the ground. Like the most simple mindfulness practice can be surprisingly helpful because you just want to, you don't want to get into the spin, yeah. right? And you want to watch out for the self-judgment. Whatever you've done, it's done. And ask you, it's not actually here. And so the, the self-judgment is the second arrow that's adding to whatever other suffering you've had. And you don't, we, we don't want to add to that in any way, shape, or form. And, that's, and there's some good books that are helpful with that, and I'll tell you one. One is called Soul Without Shame. Soul Without Shame. And soul in, the, in that context means consciousness, actually. Soul Without Shame by Byron Brown, who's a friend of mine. It's from the Diamond uh, Heart tradition, Diamond Approach, which I've been part of also. And, so I'm, and then um, Mark Coleman has a new book out called, shoot, I'm forgetting the name. It's about the mind. It's about, anybody know the name of? Make peace with your mind. Make peace with your mind, which is also about the self-judgment, the superego, yeah. which is a psychological component of our reality that is not helpful when we let it keep going. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for you know stepping up. And of course, the tears are good tears because they let. That's part of letting go. It's a more uh, affective kind of letting go. So watch out for any judgments about even crying. Yeah. Right? Okay. Thank Great. you so much. Yeah, thank you. Glad you're here. Okay, we need to stop. So, um, and again, I'll be, I won't be here next week, Carol Kano, two weeks, Frank Ossesky, three weeks, Eugene Cash. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll take a moment just to reflect on our good fortune that we have the time and place and teachings and the opportunity that we have the good fortune just to be here together as a group, as a sangha, to study human life, to study reality, to to study and see the potential to wake up, to be free, and wishing, appreciating that, our good fortune, may it be for ourselves, and for everybody here, and for all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful, May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, free from misunderstanding. May we all wake up and discover our true nature, our Buddha nature, the nature of who and what we are that is already free it's right here that we want to wake up to, that we want to realize in this human life. May all beings be free. see you in a few weeks. Please be well. And if you can take a few minutes to help us break down, thank you. And check with Patrick if you don't know what to do. And if, if you want to help with the proactive socks uh, project, come see me.
Oh, great, great, great. So I have no idea what even to tell you yet, except why don't you uh, give me your names, emails, and then I will send something out in the next week. Uh, I was interested in the SOC project. Oh, great. Okay. So you three, cool. So just give me your um, name and the email, and give me phone number two. And then you'll get something within the next week, and we'll go from there. We'll start from there. But really, the sim it's very simple. We're going to ask, we want to collect socks. People have, there's a certain kind, they need white, um, uh, like athletic socks is the best thing. So what we want to do is, and this will be for you three, to make up a flyer, and we'll, and we'll put a flyer out, and then we'll need a basket, and then you'll collect them and then you'll deliver them to St. Anthony's. Okay, that seems simple. Okay, yeah, it's pretty simple. Believe me, it may get more complicated just because that's how things happen, but but not, not a lot complicated, a little more, okay? And then let's see, and so it'll be, and then we'll ask you to make announcements about it and things like that. And that would be very cool. Okay. Great, okay. Uh, you have a pen. Some paper. Uh, okay, and uh, I have to be careful not to move too quick, and it's like just normal movements are sometimes. I, I, I'm not. I'm not dizzy, but I can just feel the edge. So I'm happy to go home and see what happens tomorrow morning. I think I gotta turn this off. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.